Amen. Well, we're doing a series here at Thrive. It's called, Who's Your Daddy? Could you turn to your neighbor and with a very inquisitive look on your face, ask them, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Well, the reason why we're doing this series called, Who's Your Daddy? is because not, It's not just because that's, that phrase is fun to say, but even more, it's because uh, we are here to, uh, to do a series about getting to know your Heavenly Father. I'm going to say my Heavenly Father. It's because we absolutely believe here at Thrive is that the key to being secure in who you are is knowing who your Heavenly Father is. The key to having healthy relationships or healthier relationships is knowing who your Heavenly Father is. And the key to experiencing more of God in your life, if you're here and you're just wondering about who God is, you're not really even sure what you believe yet, can I tell you, one of the biggest keys, the most important keys to experiencing more of God's love and His power in your life is to know who your Heavenly Father is. If you believe that, say amen. And that's why this series, which is so important, is one that we've had the pleasure of doing over the past number of weeks already. Uh, this morning, I have a very special guest in our midst who is here to share with us the third aspect of our Heavenly Father that we want you to know, want you to know about. He is a, a fantastic leader in the, in the kingdom of God. Uh, I'm always so encouraged whenever I spend time with him and his lovely wife, Angela. They're awesome sons. And uh, they are the pastors of Life Church in Olympic Village. Uh, they are very, very dear to our hearts, and they are dear friends of Thrive. Every time they come, we're so very blessed. If you bless, say amen. And so would you give a very warm Thrive welcome to the one and only Pastor Insu Kim. Let's give him a big hand this morning. Give him a big shout as well. Come on. Thank you. Happy Canada Day, eh? It's great to uh, be with you uh, today. It's always a pleasure to uh, be here. It really does feel like our, uh, our second home church being uh, uh, just, just down the, 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 uh, in, in Vancouver from you guys. And so thank you for the invitation again, Pastor JB. It's always an honor to be uh, preaching at your, uh, your church. And it's great to see many of the faces that I'm beginning to recognize. So it's just pretty cool. I think this is our third or fourth fourth time or something like that, and so it's great to, to be here with you, to worship with you today, and so thank you for the invitation, and uh, let's pray, and let's dig into Scripture together. Father, we acknowledge that this is holy ground, uh, that you are here, Uh, that this is not just a gathering of uh, people to uh, just uh, for the sake of it, but that uh, there is kingdom purpose happening here in our midst. That you've uh, created the local church to be your vessels of change and your kingdom expansion here on earth as it is in heaven. So that's all we pray for today. We ask you to open our eyes to see more of your kingdom in our lives and in this neighborhood, in this city, in this country. We ask you to come and fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would not leave the same way that we came. Father, we give you our burdens uh, from the week and what's, uh, what waits for us this coming week. Uh, Big decisions, uh, relationship conflicts, things that feel so heavy. We just want to lay them at your feet. And we want to be with you, our Heavenly Father, to receive your 
comfort, to receive your love, to receive your encouragement and life today. So we come to you as your sons and daughters, saying, Father, we love you. We want to know you more. So come be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Life is full of tests. Teachers give us tests to make sure that we understand something that we're supposed to learn. And we have driving tests to make sure that we, can, we are qualified to be driving in the streets of Vancouver. And the government gives tests to foreigners to see if they are fit to become citizens of their country, right? And one of the things that many people do not understand about a relationship with God that, is that our Heavenly Father regularly puts His children to test. Now, it's important to distinguish between testing and tempting. God does not tempt us. He never tempts us. The book of James says, no one should ever say God is tempting me. Satan tempts us that we might fail. Temptation is designed to weaken our faith and to turn us away from loyalty to our Heavenly Father. Testing by God, on the other hand, is designed to strengthen our faith and to deepen our walk with our Heavenly Father. The purpose of the Father's test is to bring out of us what is best. The testing is designed to remove from us all that binds us and shackles us and to bring to surface qualities that may not yet be in our life. God tests us to put us into, put us, uh, put into us things that are not yet there. Maybe things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So to put it very simply, here is why our Heavenly Father tests us. One, growth doesn't happen by itself. Two, God wants us to grow. Three, God tests us so that we would grow. And these tests can be an array of different things, right? It could be breaking up with someone that you still love. I'm sure many of you have had that experience. It may mean being confronted by someone about our behavior or our attitude, something in us that should not be in there. Maybe someone confronting us about that. Maybe it's being in a job that you hate or maybe losing everything that you've had saved away because of a bad decision. Maybe you didn't get into that school. Or maybe you have a friend who just had a baby and you are still struggling to get pregnant. It could be an array of ways that God tests us. But here's the thing. Testing is the primary vehicle through which God sets aside a people for himself, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful, marvelous light. So we're going to look at John chapter 6 today. So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 6. And in this chapter, we're 
going to see Jesus perform two amazing miracles. He feeds 5,000 men, and then he walks on water. John chapter 6. And I'll uh, read that for us. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him, because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Let's just stop there for a minute. I think it's remarkable the way that John is laying out the book of John here. From chapters 5 through 10, John arranges his writing according to Jewish holidays. So John chapter 5 is centered around the Sabbath. Chapter 6 is centered around the Passover. Chapter 7 and 8 is, are centered around the Feast of the Tabernacle. And chapter 10 is Hanukkah. And I think what John is trying to do is to communicate to his readers that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all prophecies of the Old Testament. He is the complete and utter fulfillment of the promised Messiah that we see in the Old Testament. And I think it's even more interesting that in chapter 6, John shows us Jesus, that he is echoing Moses of the Old Testament. So for example, what were the two great miracles of Moses in the Old Testament? One was feeding the multitudes in the desert with manna from heaven. And the second was crossing of the Red Sea on dry ground. And what do we find in John chapter 6? Jesus feeding the multitude of people in the wilderness. And in verses 16 to 24, we'll see in a little bit, Jesus does not walk through water on dry ground. He walks on water. He literally walks on water. And just continuing this thought, what was the purpose of God having his people in the wilderness for 40 years. Deuteronomy 8 says that it was to test them. It was to test them. It was 40 years of wandering in the wilderness that prepared the people of God for the promised land. Being set free from Egypt is only half the journey. The road to the promised land always leads through the wilderness where there is character shaping that's happening for the people of God. And for the followers of Jesus today, being saved by grace is amazing. But it's only half the journey. The way that God shapes us and molds us so that we can become more and more like Jesus is through testing in the wilderness. Testing in the wilderness. This is why God tests us. Verse 5 in chapter 6, let's keep reading. It says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. 
Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? So I want us to read verse 6 together. We'll put it up on the screen. Let's read this verse together again. It says, He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And you can circle that word test in your Bible or highlight it on your phone. Jesus is testing his disciples. He is testing his followers. He already knows what he's going to do. He already knows that the people will be fed and they will be satisfied. He already knows all of this. He knows exactly how he's going to do it. But Jesus is testing his followers here. And I want to suggest that there are two tests that we see in chapter 6 that Jesus gives his followers. First is the test of not enough. The test of not enough. Upon being asked by Jesus where we can buy food to feed all these people, Philip and Andrew start doing some math. You know, they're smart and so they're like, all right, let's see. We have five loaves of bread and, and, and two fish here. And we have about 5,000 men. Probably a lot of them have children. Uh, they're, they're married. They have kids. So probably about 20,000 people gathered in this place. And so we have five loaves and, and two fish. And we could kind of try to divide it up into really small pieces. And this just isn't enough. The math just doesn't add up. One of the tests that our Father in Heaven will regularly test us with is the test of inadequate supply, the test of not enough, when there's just not enough. You'll be put in a situation where the math just does not add up. What you are asked of, you just do not have enough in you to give what is being asked of you. Have you ever come up short? Maybe put in a situation that felt overwhelming and you felt completely inadequate. Maybe you were asked to give a presentation at work and you're like, gosh, this is way too hard. I, I, I'm way over my head in this. And you are, are maybe asked to lead a team. And as you look around the table of people that you're supposed to lead, you're like, what am I doing? These people are all smarter than me. They're better at me than this. I'm asked to lead this. I feel inadequate. Maybe God's uh, nudging at you to give a financial gift to the church or to some family that you feel is more than you can afford. And you look at yourself and your resources and you say, I am insufficient. There's just not enough here. And here is the humbling, honest, simple truth. You and I are inadequate. You and I are inadequate. We don't have enough. We don't measure up. And the gospel tells us that when we look into our account, we see insufficient funds. We, we write checks to God and they 
bounce because there's just not enough in our checking account. And I don't know if anyone's uh, a fan of the movie called Top Gun, and I'm a, kind of a, a movie nerd, and there's a line in that movie uh, called, Son, your body is writing checks that your ego, your ego is writing checks that your body cannot cash. We don't have enough righteousness in our lives. We don't have enough goodness in our lives. We don't have enough love in our lives. Our account is inadequate. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is enough. And he gives us what we need. He puts everything that we need into our inadequate account so that our account overflows, not because of who we are and what we have done, but simply because of God's grace and love and mercy and what he has done for us. The test of not enough brings us face to face with the fact that there is always a gap between what we have and what God asks of us. There is a gap between what we have, what we can offer, what we can do, and what God asks of us. When we realize that there is this gap, and at that moment of truth, there are two ways that we can respond. We could either run towards God or we run from God. We either choose to worship God and give him our faith and trust in that place of inadequacy and feeling insecure, or we choose to carry the burdens ourselves. We kind of put the backpack on and like, all right, we are going to figure this out by ourselves. And I think a lot of our Asian culture kind of puts that in us, right? We, we work hard to be, not have to lean on other people, right? We feel embarrassed about admitting our need, certainly not to God, certainly not with each other. So we kind of shut up and we're like, all right, we're going to work our butts off to make this happen. And when we choose to do that, in this weird way, we are actually failing to worship God, but we're actually worshiping our own abilities, our own way of making something happen. You realize that you can't do life alone. We need God. Jesus says this, starting in verse 10 again. It says, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. How was the hunger of this multitude of people 
satisfied. Not by taking that, the, the, the bread and the fish and chopping it up to tiny little pieces to have, you know, 5,000, you know, 20,000 people have just this little sliver of food. They are fed by the miraculous work of God. A miracle of Jesus, a miracle from heaven, Jesus multiplies the loaves and the fish. He supplies what the people could not. Our Father in heaven supplies all of our needs. So let me ask you a question. Is there an area in your life where you have to confess that you have run out of resource? That your supply is inadequate and yet God wants you to do something anyway. Just take a minute. Where is, uh, what is that place in your life where you feel inadequate? That, that, that there's a short supply. Where is that? Maybe something with your work, something at home, something in your marriage, something in your family. And let me ask, how are you trying to make up for that inadequacy? Are you just working harder, trying harder, kind of putting all of this burden on yourself and saying, you know what, I'm going to figure this out. So we've, uh, our, our family, uh, my wife Angela's here and our three boys are in the kids' room, hopefully not having broken everything uh, over there. And so we moved here five years ago, oh, three years ago, and it was a, a response to, we felt like an invitation of the Lord to come and start a new church in Vancouver. And so um, I, I wish we could say that, man, it's just been smooth sailing and everything's just, you know, hallelujah and praise God, and, but it just hasn't been, been that journey. It's been a, a, a slow hard, tough journey, and, and it regularly makes me kind of question everything, right? Like, do we hear God correctly? God, maybe, I, you know, our, our, our gift set isn't meant for this. Maybe if you had someone smarter, someone more gifted, someone who could do this and that, and just, you know, maybe the church would be at a different place, and and I'm regularly confronted with this test of inadequate supply. And I look at myself, and I look at our situation, and gosh, like, God, the, the math just does not add up. And so I have to look up, you know, stop navel-gazing, and look at all the things that I cannot do and I do not have, and... And I look up and say, God, you are inadequate. You are adequate. You can overcome my inadequacies. You are more than what we need. And that's our prayer for our family, our marriage, our kids, and even for them to experience this journey of, like, God, you know, didn't we respond to God and come to Vancouver and shouldn't things be easier and better than this and and said no sometimes things 
take longer than we hope, and sometimes the journey is harder, and trying to walk with them and help them understand how to respond as kids when they feel this inadequacy, this inadequate supply. And I bet each of you have some story like that. Or maybe more, you know, fearful of like, maybe God's inviting you into a journey like that. Maybe it's not moving, you know, to another country, but maybe there is something that God's asking you to step into. You're like, oh my goodness, no way. But it just stays there. It, it just lingers and this nudging just kind of is there and you try to kind of write it off and say, no, maybe God is inviting you into that place where he will demonstrate his ability to give you all that you need and more than that. What is that for you? Inadequate supply is a test. Being in a situation where you just don't have Enough is a test. You run out of marriage, love in your marriage. Your heart has grown cold. You can't work up the feelings any longer. Can God give you what you need in your marriage? Absolutely. But you got to lean into him. Can God give you what you need for your relationship with your kids? Maybe they're running away. Maybe they're, they're prodigals. Maybe they're breaking your heart in some way, and you're like, gosh, I, I don't know that this thing can be solved. Can God enter that story and give you more than you need? Absolutely, he can. But you got to lean into him. Jesus is more than sufficient to fill the gap. There is no gulf so deep or a chasm so wide that Jesus cannot fill the gap. That's the promise of the Bible for us. He is able. So let's keep reading the story. Verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So there is an old saying. It says, when you are going through a storm, you must not forget in the dark what you learned in the light. It is one thing to sit around a church service or a Bible study with your friends and everything is going great and you could regurgitate verses and, you know, everything just is wonderful. And it's a completely different thing to be in the midst of the darkness when everything in your life is being shaken. Can you at that moment hold on to the promises of God? That's a completely different story, right? When life is going great, oh, yes, John 3.16, gosh, like Romans 8. I, I can memorize all of these verses. But what if you're in the wilderness? Can those verses come out of you during those moments? In the middle of the storm, we realize that we do not have enough control. We do not have enough strength. We do not have enough power. We just do not have enough. And maybe you are going through a storm right now. And I'll 
read to you the verse. Jesus spoke these words to his followers then, and he's speaking these words to you now. He says, it is I. Don't be afraid. It is I. Don't be afraid. The first test is the test of not enough. And the second test is the test of too much. The test of too much. Let's look at verses 30 to 35. It says, so they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness that is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Here is the test of too much. The people have eaten. Their stomachs are full. The, the, the growling has stopped. Their, the, the kind of the desperation is gone now. Life is beginning to look good again. And they experience this miracle work of Jesus, and they were materially satisfied, but their material success did not lead them to pursue spiritual success. They didn't reflect long enough to see the person behind the miracle. Do any of you know someone who is materially successful, but that material success has not translated into spiritual success? Success is a test. The test of having too much is a test. And some of you are like, Lord, give me that test. Just give me too much and I'll, I'll see what I could do with that, Lord. Success in this world generally leads to neglect of God. Let me say that again. Success in this world generally leads to the neglect of God. Whether you're in the church or not, material success will often lead to a less dependence on our Heavenly Father. You continually have to be reminded that it is God who gave you success, not the human being through whom the success came. That's why Jesus says this in verse 32. I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Those with too much struggle with attributing to, think, to God their blessing. Those with too much continually have to be reminded that it is the favor of God that gave them their intellectual abilities, their family background, their opportunities, that Everything that they have is a gift from God. Success is a test. It is a test to see if we will continue to turn to our Heavenly Father even in the land of plenty. 
and of these two tests, the test of not enough and test of too much, I see more people fail the test of too much. Whether we are being tested with not enough or too much, what makes all the difference in our walk with our Heavenly Father is perseverance. And I don't know that there is anything more important in our growth as followers of Jesus, as apprentices of Jesus, as students of Jesus, than this key, uh, this perseverance to not give up. To persevere means to become a marathon runner rather than a sprinter. To persevere means delayed gratification. Paying the price now to receive that glorious prize later. Some visions in Bible are achieved in a, a, a miraculously short time. Nehemiah famously completed his wall in 52 days. However, most take much longer. In my experience, if the vision is from God, it often takes much longer than two months or even two years for that to bear fruit. Consider, Moses spent 40 years leading in the Israelites through the wilderness. Joshua spent 30 years conquering the tribes of Canaan. And Paul spent years in prison waiting for the opportunity to be able to preach the gospel in Rome. So in the early 1700s, there was a, a small group of Christians in the Czech Republic who were called the Moravians. And that was the, the, the area, the, the, the name of the town that they were from, the Moravians. And, and an aristocratic German man named Zinzendorf opened his property to be able to house refugees who were in need. And so there were people com coming from all over the world. And this refugee group started with just 10 people. But within a few years, that, that group had grown to 300 people and that they were living in life, uh, life together in this community. And uh, within a few years of trying to figure out how to do life as this community, there were all of this fighting and arguing and bickering and disagreements, and things that Thrive Church knows nothing about. But this group back then, the, all of this disagreement, all of this fighting was happening. And not knowing what to do, a few of the leaders uh, determined that they would pray together for revival and unity. And on May 12, 1727, revival came. The, the Christians in this community were filled with the Holy Spirit. They experienced life. They experienced joy. They experienced the favor of God. And this, there was this miraculous unity in this community that was so used to fighting and arguing and disagreeing. And out of this, uh, this revival, what came out of that was the, that they, the Moravians designated a, a, this prayer chain. And on August 27, 24 men and 24 women covenanted to pray together that they, they would each take turn praying one hour uh, for the 24 hours. And so someone would wake up at 2 a.m. to pray for an hour. 
up, you know, go back to sleep. Someone else will wake up at 3 a.m. So this prayer chain, 24-hour prayer chain came out of this, this revival that the Spirit of God calling, coming upon them. And so this prayer chain, this 24 hours of prayer, didn't last a week, a month, 10 months, a year, five years, 10 years. This prayer chain lasted 100 years. This tiny group of people praying over a hundred years of 24-hour prayer. So the parents started this, passed on this vision to their kids, and this whole community is praying for 24 hours a day for 100 years. And do you know what came out of those prayers? That this tiny little group of Moravians that most people have never heard about, this tiny group sent over 300 missionaries all over the world to tell people about Jesus. That didn't come out of just some, like, good thinking and good strategy and good planning. That came out of prayer, 100 years of prayer. Perseverance is the key to much in life. It's certainly a key in our journey with our Heavenly Father who wants to create something beautiful in each of his children. By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. To persevere means falling 19 times and then getting up and trying again. To persevere means to come to the end of your rope and to keep going, or as Franklin Roosevelt said so brilliantly, when you come to the end of your rope, Tie a knot and hang on. James 1.12 says this, Blessed are those who persevere under trial, because when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Maybe some of you are on the verge of giving up right now. Maybe you are about to give up on your family. Maybe you're about to give up on your marriage. Maybe you're about to give up on yourself. You're like, gosh, everyone tells me that I I wasn't good for anything, and and I I think that's true. Maybe you're about to give up uh, on your walk with Jesus. Things still feel hard, and I have all these questions, all these doubts and fears, and I'm about to give up. Maybe you're about to give up praying for someone who is struggling with cancer. And I want to encourage you today to practice this the spiritual discipline of perseverance. To covenant yourself to keep walking. To keep praying for that miracle. To keep fighting for that marriage that feels like it's on the brink of just a divorce. To keep fighting for your kids who are turning away from you again and again and again to practice this discipline of perseverance, to fall 19 times and 
get up again and to take another step forward. Listen to these words from 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13, and this is the, the message version. It says, friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. And I'm going to close with this quote from Oswald Chambers. It's a little bit long, but it's uh, really profound and, and deep. And uh, let these just truths sink in. He says, every time you venture out in life of faith, you will find something in your circumstances that, from a common sense standpoint, would flatly contradict your faith. But common sense is not faith, and faith is not common sense. In fact, they are as different as the natural life and the spiritual. Can you trust Jesus Christ where your common sense cannot trust him? Can you venture out with your courage on the words of Jesus Christ while the realities of your common sense life continues to shout, it's all a lie? When you are on the mountaintop, it's easy to say, oh, yes, I believe God can do it. But you have to come down from the mountain to the demon-possessed valley and face the realities that scoff at your mount of transfiguration belief. Every time my theology becomes clear to my own mind, I encounter something that contradicts it. As soon as I say, I believe God shall supply all my need, the testing of my faith begins. When my strength runs dry and my vision is blinded, will I endure this trial of my faith victoriously or will I turn back in defeat? Faith must be tested because it can only become your intimate possession through conflict. What is challenging your faith right now? The test will either prove your faith right or it will kill it. Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. The ultimate thing is confidence in Jesus. We have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Believe steadfastly on him, and everything that challenges you will strengthen your faith. There is a continual testing in the life of faith up to the point of your physical death, which is our last great test. Faith is absolute trust in God. Trust that could never imagine that he would forsake us. Church, our Father in heaven tests us to put into us things that are not yet there and to take, us, take out of us things that should not be there. So as your fellow uh, uh, follower of Jesus, as a friend on this journey with you, let me encourage you today to persevere through the test and to keep walking with your heavenly father. Let's all stand to our feet. Why don't you turn to your, your neighbors on your right and your left. Give them a high five and say, 
Your heavenly, father's know, your heavenly Father knows you can pass the test. Can you tell them right now? Your Heavenly Father knows you can pass the test. Whether it's the test of not having enough, or you feel like there's not enough, or it's about having too much. God knows you. He loves you. He tests us not because he's cruel to you. He tests us not because he uh, wants to just make sport of you, but he tests you because he wants to make you strong. He wants, to be, he wants you to grow. Amen? Amen. So we're just going to sing the song together right now. Let's respond to God as we uh, sing the song together. Maybe you're here today, and if you had to be really honest about yourself this morning, is that when it comes to that test called the test of not having enough, that feel, you feel like you're right in that test this morning. Maybe when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your finances, when it comes to some other challenge that you are facing today, maybe it's in the health of someone you love or your own health today where you just don't feel like you've got enough resources to get through. Maybe your problem today is not so much that you don't have enough, but you feel like you're not enough. You feel like you don't really make the cut. You feel really down about yourself today. There's shame that is on your life today because of stuff in the past that you've done. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus Christ is the one who gives us more than we need. He's the God who is enough for us. And when we give to him, even the little that we think we have, just like in the story we read today, he can take the little that we give to him and he can feed a multitude. He can take the little that we give to him and do something with it that we could never do ourselves. It's because he loves you. It's because he cares for you. It's because he can do things that we can't do. He is the son of God. His name is Jesus. And if you're here in this place today and you're struggling with that test of not having enough, or you're struggling in some other test that you know that uh, you know God is testing you in today and you want to be able to pass that test. If that's you in this place, I'm going to invite you just to surrender your life to God once again this morning. Why don't you raise your hands right now? Don't even wait for me to count to three. Just raise your hand to God today. And we just, we're just going to pray out loud together right now and proclaim that Jesus Christ is more than enough for us. That when we give him even the little that we think we have, that he can take it and he can feed a multitude of people. That when we give him the little that we think we have, that he can take it and can do things with it that we could never do ourselves because you are significant in his eyes. He loves you. You are precious in his sight. I want you to lift up your hands to God and let's just pray aloud together in this place and give him what you have. Give him your heart. Give him that problem. Give him that issue. Give him that lack. Give him everything you have today. Let's all pray aloud in this place together. Let's all pray aloud, church. Come on. Even as we're praying just now, I just... I just sense that maybe there's someone someone here in this place who's really struggling with feeling like they're not enough. Feeling like they aren't good enough, they aren't pretty enough, they aren't smart enough, they're not beautiful enough, they're not talented enough, that they don't have what it takes. When you look at yourself in the mirror, it's like you think I'm not enough. And you look really down on yourself all the time. You don't say it to anybody, but that's the way you think of yourself. You try to cover it up sometimes, but it's really tough, tough to cover up the way you feel. And if that's you in this place, I think God wants you to know that you are enough. That you were enough for him to die on the cross for. That even if it was just you and you only who needed to be died for on the cross, Jesus would do that for you because you are precious in his sight. 
and that if you are here, you're struggling with not having enough. I believe Jesus wants to tell you today that I am enough for you, that you might not have in and of yourself the strength to go on, but I will give you everything that you need. Give me what you have, and I will do things with what you have that you could never do on your own. And so if, you, if that's you in this place, and you just want to come before God and receive more of him today, why don't you lift your hands to heaven and pray this prayer with me right now. You can say, Heavenly Father, thank you that you are my provider, that you are everything that I need, that when I couldn't get to you, you provided a way to get to me. You sent Jesus Christ to show me that I am enough, that you gave me your son to die on the cross to show me that I am enough for you, that I am beautiful enough, I am precious enough, I am valuable enough to you, that you would give everything so that you could have me. And so I proclaim today that I am enough and I have enough because Jesus Christ is with me. Thank you, God, that because Jesus is in my life, I have everything I need to go through the season of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Could you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now?